0: Section ten of the Handy Cyclopedia of Things Worth Knowing. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Caitlin Sticko. The Handy Cyclopedia of Things Worth Knowing by Joseph Trinens. Published in nineteen eleven. Section ten Theosophy. Much is said nowadays about Theosophy, which is really but another name for mysticism. It is not a philosophy, for it will have nothing to do with philosophical methods. It might be called a religion, though it has never had a following large enough to make a very strong impression on the world's religious history. The name is from the Greek word Theosophia, Divine Wisdom and the object of theosophical study is professedly to understand the nature of divine things. It differs, however, from both philosophy and theology, even when these have the same object of investigation. For, in seeking to learn the divine nature and attributes, philosophy employs the methods and principles of natural reasoning. Theology uses these, adding to them certain principles derived from revelation. Theosophy, on the other hand, professes to exclude all reasoning processes as imperfect, and to derive its knowledge from direct communication with God himself. It does not, therefore, accept the truths of recorded revelation as immutable, but as subject to modification by later and personal revelations. The theosophical idea has had followers from its earliest times, since the Christian era we may class among theosophists such sects as neoplatonists the hesychasts of the greek church the mystics of medieval times and in later times the disciples of paracelsus thalhauser bohm swedenborg and others recently a small sect has arisen which has taken the name of theosophists its leader was an english gentleman who became fascinated with the doctrine of buddhism Taking a few of his followers to India, they have been prosecuting their studies there, certain individuals attracting considerable attention by a claim to miraculous powers. It need hardly be said that the revelations they have claimed to receive have been, thus far, without element of benefit to the human race. THE EVOLUTION THEORY the evolution or development theory declares the universe as it now exists to be the result of a long series of changes which were so far related to each other as to form a series of growths analogous to the evolving of the parts of a growing organism. Herbert Spencer defines evolution as a progress from the homogeneous to the heterogeneous, from general to special, from the simple to the complex elements of life, and it is believed that this process can be traced in the formation of worlds in space, in the multiplication of types and species among animals and plants, in the origin and changes of languages and literature and the arts, and also into all the changes of human institutions and society. Asserting the general fact of progress in nature... The evolution theory shows that the method of this progress has been 1. by the multiplication of organs and functions 2. according to a defined unity of plan although with 3. intervention of transitional forms and 4. with modifications dependent upon surrounding conditions. Ancient writers occasionally seem to have a glimmering knowledge of the fact of progress in nature but as a theory evolution belongs to the enlightenment of the nineteenth century leibnitz in the latter part of the seventeenth century first uttered the opinion that the earth was once in a fluid condition and kant about the middle of the eighteenth century definitely propounded the nebular hypothesis which was enlarged as a theory by the herschels the first writer to suggest the transmutation of species among animals was buffon about seventeen fifty, and other writers followed out the idea. The eccentric Lord Monboddo was the first to suggest the possible descent of man from the ape. About seventeen seventy four. In eighteen thirteen, doctor W. C. Wells first proposed to apply the principle of natural selection to the natural history of man and in 1822 Professor Herbert first asserted the probable transmutation of species of plants. In 1814 a book appeared called Vestiges of Creation, which, though evidently not written by a scientific student, yet attracted great attention by its bold and ingenious theories. The authorship of this book was never revealed until after the death of Robert Chambers, a few years since it became known that this publisher, whom no one would ever have suspected of holding such heterodox theories, had actually written it. But the two great apostles of the evolution theory were Charles Darwin and Herbert Spencer. The latter began his great work, The First Principles of Philosophy, showing the application of evolution in facts of life, in 1852 in 1859 appeared Darwin's Origin of Species. The hypothesis of the latter was that different species originated in spontaneous variation, and the survival of the fittest through natural selection and the struggle for existence. This theory was further elaborated and applied by Spencer, Darwin, Huxley, and other writers in Europe and in America, though to-day by no means all the ideas upheld by these early advocates of the theory are still accepted, evolution, as a principle, is now acknowledged by nearly all scientists. It is taken to be an established fact in nature, a valid induction from man's knowledge of natural order. THE ENGLISH sparrow. The first English sparrow was brought to the United States in 1850, but it was not until 1870 that the species can be said to have firmly established itself. Since then it has taken possession of the country. Its fecundity is amazing. In the latitude of New York and southward it hatches, as a rule, five or six broods in a season, with from four to six young in a brood. Assuming the average annual product of a pair to be twenty-four young, of which half are females and half males, and assuming further, for the sake of computation, that all live, together with their offspring it will be seen that in ten years progeny of a single pair would be 275,716,983,698 feminine height and weight it is often asked how stout a woman ought to be in proportion to her height a very young girl may becomingly be thinner than a matron but the following table gives a fair indication of proper proportions height to pounds about 5 feet 100 5 feet 1 inch 106 Five feet two inches one hundred thirteen five feet three inches one hundred nineteen five feet four inches one hundred thirty five feet five inches one hundred thirty eight five feet six inches one hundred forty four five feet seven inches one hundred fifty five feet eight inches one hundred fifty five Five feet nine inches, one hundred sixty three. Five feet five feet ten inches, one hundred sixty nine. Five feet eleven inches, one hundred seventy six. Six feet one hundred eighty. Six feet one inch, one hundred eighty six. When a man becomes of age, the question sometimes arises whether a man is entitled to vote at an election held on the day preceding the twenty-first anniversary of his birth. Blackstone, in his Commentaries, Book 1, page 463, says, quote, "'Full age in male or female is twenty-one years, which age is completed on the day preceding the anniversary of a person's birth, who till that time is an infant and so styled in law,' quote. The late Chief Justice Sharswood, in his edition of Blackstone's Commentaries, quotes Christian's note on the above as follows, quote, If he is born on the sixteenth day of February, 1608, he is of age to do any legal act on the morning of the fifteenth of February, 1629, though he may not have lived twenty-one years by nearly forty-eight hours. The reason assigned is that in law there is no fraction of a day— and if the birth were on the last second of one day, and the act on the first second of the preceding day twenty-one years after, then twenty-one years would be complete, and in the law it is the same whether a thing is done upon one moment of the day or another. End of section 10.